and welcome back to the Fail Mary podcast after a lovely week off. I have some catching up to do, so let's get straight into it with a double bill of news. And over the last two weeks, the undefeated teams remained undefeated. The Patriots beat the Jets 33-0 and then beat the Browns as well. The 49ers beat the Redskins in a slightly weird game where passing was almost impossible due to a lot of rain and then beat Carolina 51-13. Very impressive results there from the Niners. The Chiefs beat the Broncos in a game that led to Mahomes being injured in a mysterious injury. They're not entirely sure what it is. Apparently his knee um, cap just sort of moved and is in the wrong place, so they're resetting that. Uh, in the following week, they went on to lose to the Packers, although Matt Moore did manage to pass for two touchdowns. In the AFC South, the Colts beat the Texans 30-23. Uh, both teams went on to win the following week narrowly. The Broncos, the Colts, sorry, just about managing to beat the Broncos and the Texans beating the Raiders in a three-point game. The Eagles got hammered by Dallas in the NFC East and then crushed high-flying Buffalo 31-13. And the Saints went unbeaten without Drew Brees and then won on his return. They beat the Cardinals 31-9. The Vikings and the Rams kept the pressure on in their relative divisions. Both won both their games, including the Vikings convincingly beating the division rivals Detroit. At the other end of the league, the Dolphins and the Bengals still are terrible and are yet to win. And, and that means at the halfway stage, the playoff picture is in the AFC, the Patriots and the Colts are seeds one and two, with the Ravens, the Chiefs, the Texans and the Bills sneaking in behind them. The NFC, the 49ers and the Saints are the first two seeds, the Packers and the Cowboys are the other two division leaders, and the Seahawks and the Vikings are making up the wildcard spots there. The, in the AFC, they're still in the hunt, we have the Jaguars, the Titans and the Steelers. The NFC still close by are the Rams, Panthers and the Eagles. In this show we will talk about the AFC, the AFC versus NFC situations as well as doing the normal mailbag, games of the week and the Akastaka. So let's start with what is going on in the AFC. I want to think about the AFC and I want you to understand that when I started writing the story it was titled the AFC sucks and that's sort of what I'm trying to get at but I'm going to put it in a more positive light for the entertainment of the listener. I want you to think about the beginning of the season when we talked about the AFC and the teams that we thought were going to be competitive this year and the ones we came up with the Patriots, the Colts, the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Steelers and the Texans were all going to be good. That was what we expected. They were going to be the good group. And then below that, there was going to be an interesting interesting group with the Ravens, the Bills, the Titans, the Browns, the Jets, and the Raiders thrown in there as well. So that was what we were hoping for. Fingers crossed that that will be a, de- a good amount of good teams and then some interesting teams behind them. And now look where we are. The Chargers, the Steelers, and the Browns, and the Jets all suck, like, completely. The Raiders and the Titans are sort of managing to pull together a few results, but they're meh. The Jaguars you could throw there and throw in there as well. The Ravens, the Texans, the Chiefs are all very entertaining offensively, but cannot defend. I mean, the Texans, 24 points against Oakland. That shouldn't be happening. The Chiefs got another score run up on them, run up on them by the Green Bay Packers. And the Ravens had that heinous game against the, the Browns where a really sort of floundering offense managed to run all over them as well so 
defensively not sound. And then you've got the Bill and the Colts, who are, you know, sound at the fundamentals, but the Colts winning 15-13 against the Broncos, well, that doesn't inspire any positivity whatsoever. And the Bills this weekend came up against a very inconsistent Eagles team and got thumped 13-31. And what this is sort of illustrating is that there is a lot of ability in the AFC, but the the problems that are sticking out for these teams are, as I've talked about before, so f- fundamentally and potentially disastrous that it is really hard to see how any of these teams are going to compete against the Patriots, whose speciality is finding the weaknesses. Well, you don't have to look particularly far for these weaknesses. They're very much on display on a weekly basis. And compare that to the NFC. The NFC have five teams with six wins or higher. That's more than the Colts, who are second in the AFC. And the Rams have five wins. That's the same as the Colts, and they're currently not in the playoffs at all. So I was looking at this. These are just, you know, you can't really argue with that. That's fact. Can't argue with them. That is just true. So I was looking at this and trying to identify why none of these teams were at the top of their game. And actually, it's more about the NFL than it is about necessarily any of these organisations, because there are some really good organisations in there. It's it's very rare in the NFL to be very, very good for a very long time. That is very much uh, New England are the exception, not the rule in that trying to put together a good team of players and keep them together within the salary cap whilst avoiding injuries and whilst constantly being able to recycle and come up with new playbooks each season or whilst dealing with wage demands and coaches moving on to different jobs and players retiring and the draft and all these different things you've got to consider it's very very tricky to balance and when you look at this list of teams that are trying to compete with the Patriots in the AFC none of them haven't had an ideal run into the season the Colts, who were second, came into this season expecting to have Andrew Luck as their quarterback. And the the playbook they designed and the scheme they designed was all around the idea that they were going to have a quarterback who is one of the more talented quarterbacks the NFL has ever seen. And for Jacoby Brissett, who's only in his fourth year, has never had a playbook written for him, used to play for a different team, to step into this role and make it work as well as he has is actually really quite impressive and deserves some praise. The Ravens are another example. They came to the season, first full season, with uh, this new dynamic running back slash quarterback hybrid thing going on. It's completely different to th- anything the Ravens have ever done. And actually, they've done remarkably well to get the offense moving like it has. But it has meant that the defense has suffered. And this is the same. You can talk. You can do this when any of the teams. The Bills, this is the second year for their starting quarterback, and they didn't have a good defense last year. So they've managed to improve their defense and their quarterback but are still struggling to make it work perfectly. The Texans had a terrible O-line coming into the season, and now their O-line is doing well and giving up much less sacks, and their defence is starting to let them down. So you look at these teams, you can do it with the Chiefs as well. The Chiefs have always been this high-powered offence, but have struggled with defence for year upon year, and actually they have made some improvements. I'm not going to say they're good, but they are starting to get sacks, so at least they're doing pressure in the right areas. All these teams, the Jags, who were they playing at quarterback? They thought it was Foles at the start of the season, and they've lost Jalen Ramsey. The Raiders were a complete mess, and now they're slightly less of a mess. Um, the Browns, this was the first season that they weren't considered a joke heading into the season. So all these teams you're looking at are going to be good in the coming years and still have these obvious adjustments that need to be made, but that doesn't necessarily mean that what they're doing now isn't good. So being more positive... 
And now if you look at the NFC, you can look at it in a different light. The teams that are in the NFC are all very much in win-now mode. It's getting quite late in the day for some of these teams. The Cowboys are getting really expensive and they still have problems. They're injury-prone on their offense and their defense is starting to get really quite expensive. They haven't even played Dak yet, so they're going to have struggles with their salary cap. The Packers are relying on an injury-prone QB who's coming to the end of his season, or he's in the, sort of the back nine of his career. Their defense started out really well, but actually it's from week to week giving up quite a few points, although it is generating more turnovers. The Seahawks are being carried by Russell Wilson, and I mean that literally. Their defense is fine, and their offensive weapons are average. And they're high up in the salary cap areas as well. The Vikings... Xavier Rhodes is a good example. He's an aging cornerback who's much less effective than he used to be. And they nearly came apart at the beginning of the season when they had that big falling out between their wide receivers and cousins and the scheme and all that. Um, the Saints, Drew Brees is the heart of their team. This is the first time he's been properly injured in a while. And yes, they reacted well to it, but they were nowhere near as good as they were without Drew Brees. And the suggestion that they could just put Teddy Bridgewater in and then go on a 9-7 and seven season. That's not the case. The Rams, that's getting expensive and that's ageing. The Panthers, huge question mark at quarterback. And the Eagles are pulling themselves apart and have all sorts of infighting going on. So I have managed to readjust my assessment of the AFC and realise that in the next few years there will be a growth in the AFC teams in order for them to be more competitive with the Patriots who are still, let's be honest, miles ahead in the AFC in terms of ability. So there you go, more positive thinking on the AFC, provided by the Fail Mary podcast. Next up, the mailbag. Three questions sent in by listeners of the show on various social media platforms that I'm going to answer for you today. Uh, we've had a an extra dose because I was away for two weeks, but I'm going to just stick to three. Don't want to overload you with too much information. So we will start with this one. Can anyone beat the Patriots? Good question. And the answer is yes. The 49ers. I didn't mention them in the AFC-NFC bit because they're sort of the exception to the rule with how well they're playing at the moment. And if you watched the Browns game and tried to uh, uh, ignore the fact that the Browns turned the ball over three times in three plays, which is spectacularly bad, then... There was actually some things that the Browns did really well. They ran the ball very well. Nick Chubb went for 131 yards when he wasn't fumbling it. And they did a good job of putting pressure on the Patriots' O-line as well, where Brady was forced to do his usual Brady things and get the ball out under unbelievably fast. So for a team that has been very dominant and has been amazing defensively, what they don't want to be playing is a team like the 49ers who run the ball more than 50% of the time, are similar to the Patriots in that they use a, a running back committee and they don't and they use a fullback and they pass situationally very well. So I've been very impressed with what I've seen from the 49ers. If they come up against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, which I think they might do, then that would be a very interesting game to see as the Patriots would sort of be playing a pseudo-Patriots team put together by Mr. Carl Shanahan. Fingers crossed. If it's someone else... We're probably in trouble. <laughs> Please don't win again. Two. Question number two. Will the Colts be making the playoffs? This is from a, a particularly cynical fan, I suspect. I know the Colts weren't amazing against the Broncos, and I, I 
did say that, come on, winning by two points against these guys, come on. But actually, playing in the Malhai Stadium is quite hard, and Vinatieri missed every kick that was available to him, basically. So it wasn't as terrible as it looked. And my answer is, I'm 90% sure the Colts make the playoffs. So I had to map out a reason why they might not make the playoffs. If you don't win your division, which let's say Houston wins the division theoretically, I'm not saying that's guaranteed. The Colts could just win out and win the division entirely, which would be a guaranteed division playoff place. But if they don't, if the Colts win, if the Houston Texans win the division and the Colts are forced to go for the wildcard seed, the wildcard teams are usually decided because they usually end up around eight or nine wins. And then it comes down to how good your division record is. Um, and... The Colts are perfect so far in their division, but it's they need to stay that way. And their division is quite tricky. They've got the Texans, they've got to play them again. They've got to play the Titans twice. No, sorry, Jacksonville twice and the Titans once. And they're all teams that the, the Colts can beat or, or teams that the Colts should beat. But if they're going to put up performances like they did against Denver, then they could struggle. Uh, in the last games, they've got to play Pittsburgh, Miami and Jacksonville. And then Houston, Tennessee, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, Carolina and Jacksonville to finish. And the only team that can threaten them for a wildcard seed if they were to end up on the same amount of wins is, wait for it, the Cleveland Browns. I know they are awful, um, but underneath all their inherent awfulness and the stuff they do to beat themselves on a minutely basis, they have a very easy run in the next few weeks. They're playing Denver. And then a game against Buffalo, They'll, if they lose that one, then they've got Pittsburgh, Miami, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Arizona, Baltimore, Cincinnati. I've got them as the best team in all but two of those games. So if they win the other seven, then they go to nine. I'm not saying they will, but if they do, they go to nine and only have one loss in their division because, remember, they beat Baltimore earlier in the year. So if they do that, go to five out of six in their division and the Colts slip up against any of their divisional rivals, which is definitely possible, especially against Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans, then it's going to get closer than the Colts would like it. But realistically, they're on five wins already. If they beat Pittsburgh and Miami, that's up to seven. Then they should be beating Jacksonville. And I'm going to put Tampa Bay as a, a almost guaranteed win just because of the way the Colts play. So thinking positively, yes, the Colts can make and should be making the playoffs at this point. But it is not impossible for them to miss out. Just saying, guys. It is possible. Three. And finally, question number three. Who has been the best rookie QB so far? Um, I like this question. I'm glad you've asked it so I can get to this. Finally, I get to praise this man. I'm going to give an honourable mention to Daniel Jones because it is really hard to go into New York and be the starting quarterback of either of those teams. Sam Darnold is struggling with it as well. But in New York, you get an awful lot of scrutiny. They have the New York Times, which has a ridiculously like aggressive sports section that really gets after you and a very active fan base. And you have to share a stadium with your other teams. So it's not easy to be the QB in New York. And I think Daniel Jones has been done a rather entertaining job in that he pretends to be a big old nerd and wears strange nerdy clothes and then just balls out and occasionally makes these ridiculously good throws that are always on highlight reels. But he is overshadowed by one man. 
and his name is Gardner Minshew. Let me tell you some stuff about... I was, I've spent the day watching Gardner Minshew videos and, and Googling him. It's hilarious. When he came out of high school, Gardner Minshew was ranked as the 70th best quarterback in his year. So just in that age group, that group of kids, there were 69 QBs who were better than him. Uh, where are Who are they and where are they now? Do they exist anymore? I don't know who they are. Uh, um, he went to Northwest Mississippi. If you've never heard of that, it's because it's a junior community college and there he won the NJCAA championship. If you've not heard of that, it's because nobody watches it. Uh, from there, he moved to East Carolina University. If you hadn't heard of that, it's because it's not a particularly good sporting university. He shared the starting job for two years and in that time, they won three whole games. That's really not good. And then from there, he moved to Washington State, went 11-2, and two, had 147 as his pass rating, came fifth in the Heisman, and was the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. Out of nowhere, like a boss. So he had one year in high-standard college football and set up that sort of record. He was then drafted by Jacksonville in the sixth round. That's 178th. He's six feet tall. He's 105 kilos, which makes him an absolute tank. I'm 5'11", and I'm maybe 75, 80 kilos. So he is thick <laughs> in a good way. And he was thrown in in week one. He was sat behind Nick Foles as the starter. Nick Foles gets injured. He goes in in week one, throws for 275 yards and two touchdowns. It's said that he wears nothing but aviators and a jock strap in the dressing room to warm up, where he does lunging. He has a cool moustache and goatee thing going on. And in eight weeks, he's had 62% completion, just shy of 2,000 yards, 13 touchdowns and only two interceptions. And what those stats hide is the fact that Gardner Minshew is ice cold. Like, just unbelievably has absolutely no interest or concern about pressure whatsoever. His decision-making is wonderful, as is evidenced by his very low pick to touchdown ratio. Uh, a good comparison is Daniel Jones has 10 touchdowns, no, sorry, 14 touchdowns, but 10 picks. So whilst Daniel Jones is doing all the good things that I want my rookie QB to do, which is taking shots downfield, trying to make big throws, showing off what he can do, his decision-making sometimes looks a bit more like, oh my God, just uh, uh, throw it, and just launching it into no one. Um, Kyler Murray is doing well, but again, he looks like Bambi on ice sometimes. He's like, oh my God, run, 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 run. And I'm like, Kyler, stop. Uh, and Dwayne Haskins looks like a, a worse James Winston, so he's not doing well at all. But go and watch the highlights of a, Jag, a recent Jags game. His mobility is through the roof compared to what it should be. Uh, he's throwing to no one. His, his best receiver is a guy called Chark, who I'd never heard of before this season, and yet he has constantly put them in good situations despite Jacksonville being an overall poorly run organisation. So Gardner Minshew in eight games or seven and a half games has pretty much set out himself as a franchise quarterback for the next 10 years or so. And if they choose to start Nick Foles ahead of him, then he should leave because he needs a starting job somewhere in the world. I love Gardner Minshew and his weird moustache. <laughs> And that will lead us quite nicely into our game of the week because the first game of the weekend is an early start. It's only at 
I'm not entirely sure why they're kicking off that early, but it's happening. And it is the Texans versus Minshew and his Jaguars. The reason I'm putting this one up there is because... So we know that the Texans are having problem defensively, especially in their secondary, which means that the Jags' passing game could be very effective here. And the Texans' defense has just lost their best pass rusher. So now the mobile and amazing Minshew is coming up against a de depleted Texans' defense whilst we're also getting to see on the other side of the ball Deshaun Watson, who has been unreal. Deshaun Watson made a play last weekend where he got kicked in the eye um, and continued to carry on with the ball and then blindly threw a touchdown. And after the play, he was sort of lying on the floor and his his medical staff came over and he was like, did we score? I can't see. So that's the level of Deshaun Watson. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So that would be a good game to watch. The Jags defense as well has been struggling, especially without Jalen Ramsey, the past game. is starting to move against them as well. So potential for this to be weirdly high scoring. So worth watching. That's at 2.30. The second game of the week... Vikings at the Chiefs. My questions here are, can Kirk continue? Nice, bit of alliteration. And how good is the Reed slash Moore combo? We saw uh, Andy Reed's offense continue to work even with Matt Moore against Green Bay's defense. This defense is a step up, though, because the Vikings have been suffocating everyone as a unit. They've been doing really, really well. This is a harder game for them, though, because as we saw, the Andy Reid offense is more effective than the ones that the Vikings have played in recent weeks. Kirk Cousins, since the first few weeks where we talked about him bottling it and being a bit of a, a shrinking player, has been playing like a Hall of Fame level ability. His pass rating is over 120. He's been brilliant and they run the ball very well, but they still have problems on O-line against that Chiefs defense that is starting to get a few sacks going, which is exciting. So it'll be interesting to see. The other one to keep an eye on is Dalvin Cook, who is probably the most underrated running back at the moment. He is putting up ridiculously good yards against behind that weak O-line. So we get to see Andy Reid's amazing offense being operated by a reasonably new quarterback to the system versus Patrick Mahomes and all his receiving and receiving and rushing weapons going the other way. So offensively and defensively once again interesting and it will be it will be important to see who asserts their game on the ground before because the Chiefs have struggled to run particularly since they lost Mahomes. They weren't good in the rush at all last week. So we'll have to keep an eye on that game as well. And then the final game. And I always seem to pick these guys, and they always end up being entertaining. And this is the Bucks at the Seahawks. This is the Giants receiving core. The Giant receiving core, not the Giants. The Giant, as in they're all ridiculously tall, against Danger Russ, Russell Wilson, who has been unbelievably good. Like, almost suspiciously good. Again, the Bucks' defense has been reasonably good at some things, but terribly others. They're good at stopping the run, but they're really good at bad at stopping the pass. The Seahawks like to run, but Russell Wilson likes to pass. And then the Seahawks' defense has been sort of averagey, not great. But then again, they're at home against Jameis Winston, who tends to panic when he's under a bit of pressure, which you always are at Seattle because they are just one of the loudest stadiums and very difficult to play away to. So that's a very interesting one to watch. It could end up being a bit of a a mess if Jameis Winston goes full Jameis Winston and can't hit any of his own receivers. But then again, they're all six foot five. So how could you possibly miss them? And that is our last game of the week. That is the later kickoff on Sunday. That's at nine oh five. So those again, Texans Jags, early kickoff two thirty. Worth watching. Vikings at the Chiefs, that's a six PM kickoff, and the Bucks at the Seahawks, that is at nine oh. 
8.05. All good games to watch this weekend. And that finally will bring us full circle and back to the Akastaka, which, I mean, I didn't talk about it in the podcast last week, and I think if I had done, I wouldn't have made half the choices I did because I chose that very early in the, on Sunday morning, having had a flight home from Maholibobs. And it's safe to say that I didn't really think them through and went one on four. I'm not going to cl- include it in the record, though, because I didn't do my research properly. That's my excuse. Lack of research. But I can't... Can't do that this week, and we have been missing something, the 5 and 5. So, here we go, I'm going to add epic music to try and inspire this. So here we go, epic music. Nice. And here we go, choice number 1. This is the 49ers, minus 10 at the Cardinals. The 49ers win over the Carolina Panthers was something unrecognisable. I could not believe how efficient they were on the ground, and the Cardinals, the... Sorry, the Carolina Panthers aren't a shabby run defence team. The Cardinals are. And they're probably a worse defence. So, minus 10, I think the 49ers can really run at the score. The alternative is they are at the Cardinals. Kyler Murray is working on the dink and dump, dunk. And Cliff Kingsbury has been getting things going. But they, they, San Francisco are also defending the run very well. So this could be all on Kyler Murray to keep this one close. So minus 10, actually, is quite a small margin. So that's number one. Number two... The Colts minus one at the Steelers. I understand why the line is so low, because the Colts' performance against Denver was really uninspiring, and the Steelers have been putting together results, but this is a different defense for the Steelers, and Rudolph hasn't really faced a huge challenge this thus far, but the Colts aren't going to let them run, and they're going to go man-to-man on the pass, so Rudolph's got to throw people open and do it early, and his decision-making hasn't been that high a standard. It is at the Steelers. Playing at Hinesfield is difficult. Uh, but I'm still still forming an opinion on Jacoby Brissett. And I want to see him. I like the two-year contract and that they've given him a chance to show off this year. And then next year, make some real improvements. Because he, you know, he's not brilliant, but he is doing the job. So minus one, I think they, I can think they can win this by at least a field goal. So I'll accept minus one. The next one. Number three, Lions, plus two and a half at Oakland. Again, I understand the line. Oakland have the winning margin because they run the ball so well and Detroit haven't been stopping it. But Detroit don't give up points, especially in the red zone. And Oakland haven't been that good at converting when they get there. When I went to see the Cleveland game, unless they could pound it straight up the middle, they couldn't convert at all. And this will be a better defensive performance as a group because Detroit have been really quite good and they aren't likely to give away while they give up yardage they don't give up the red zone and the end zone very often so plus two and a half with Stafford playing the way he's been playing recently and just how explosive and it's really quite an exciting Detroit offense so I think they keep this game close chance of them winning it but even if they don't plus two and a half I like that line the next one Dallas minus seven at the Giants Dallas in a sticky situation at the moment but they are off a bye and the Giants aren't stopping anything at the moment. Again, I like Daniel Jones, but he is throwing more as many turnovers as he is and as he has touchdowns in the last few games. And I think coming off a of bye, they've obviously had a few things to look at. They're getting a few more players healthy. Minus seven for Dallas to win by a touchdown or more. I think that's a good margin. The problem is Saquon Barkley because 
I mean, he he is a human joystick at the moment. The, he, there's a play he did on the weekend where very easy dunk off, and he turned it from a three-yard game into a 15-yard game where he threw off one guy, bull rushed another one, and then skipped around a third one like he wasn't there as well. So if they can find a way to slow down Saquon Barkley, they don't even have to stop him, just slow him down, and then get back going the other way, then I think Dallas will open up a reasonably good lead in this one, possibly double figures. So minus seven, fine with that. And finally, in this epic Akastaka, we have the Seahawks, minus six at the Bucks. Yes, I know I talked about it. Yes, I know I said it could go either way. They aren't getting results. The Bucks, even with this huge receiving core and strong defense, the Bucks are getting beaten consistently. Um, Russell Wilson at home with his team, with the 12th man helping him out, with a, an, a defense that's starting to learn to stop the run. Minus six isn't that big a margin. It's less than a touchdown with the kick. So comfortable with that one. Seahawks minus six versus the Bucks. Fingers crossed that the 12th man of Seattle turns up and puts Jameis completely off his game. But if he does, then they could be in trouble. And that is our rack stacker. So here it is one more time. The 49ers minus 10 at the Cardinals. The Colts minus one at the Steelers. The Lions plus two and a half at Oakland. Dallas minus seven at the Giants. And the Seahawks minus six versus the Buccaneers. We'll do it for Axtacker and for the show this week. Thanks very much for listening. Sorry I wasn't around last week, but we are now back until the very end of the season. So we get to see it all through. Next week, I'm going to look in more detail at what's going on in the NFC. Thanks very much for listening. I'll see you next time.